What's up guys, my name is Andrea and welcome to the decompression chamber. At the end of April, I went home to Twin Falls, Idaho to visit my folks as well as my siblings. During that time, I got to sit down with my father, Greg Bryant. He was a captain in the army and he shared his experience during his time of service during the Vietnam War. He never went to Vietnam, but again, during the Vietnam War, he was subject to the draft, so he decided to just join, get it out of the way. Uh, but he gives a little bit of insight as well, the lead up to it, what his upbringing was like in uh, rural 50s Minnesota. And without further ado, my interview with my father, Greg Bryant. My guest <coughs> is my dad, Greg Bryant, and he's going to tell me a little bit about growing up in Minnesota with my uncles and uh, going into the army and uh, serving during the Vietnam, luckily not in Vietnam and uh, a little bit uh, ex post facto. So, uh, where, uh, where were you born? Okay, well, I was born in Minneapolis, but uh, didn't really remember living there because we moved to a town called Maple Plain when I was two years old. And uh, that's where I grew up at, went to school, graduated from high school, everything else right there in Maple Plain. And it was a small town at that time of like 650 or 700 people not much so you kind of knew everybody in town yeah grew up with two brothers and the whole neighborhood was everybody had kids i mean it was just you could get a baseball game going whatever you want or whatever you wanted to do even in the winter we had a skating rink there we'd play hockey or, or whatever i mean it was just it was fun for kids you could go out none of the moms had to worry about where you're at what time you came home Sure. You know, you were just left in the morning. If you showed up at lunchtime, fine. If you didn't, nobody worried about it. Right. <laughs> Be home for supper or you weren't going to eat, and there you go. And so, I mean, it was a great time to grow up, and I always tell people I'm glad I grew up when I did and where I did because there wasn't yeah. all the influences of the, you know, the drugs and all the rest of this oh, yeah. stuff that's going on this day and age. I mean, we could get in trouble in high school drinking beer or whatever else, but nobody ever got in serious trouble or accidents or anything like that. So What about uh, train derailments? <laughs> yeah, well, that was... <laughs> yeah, so that was a, a couple of uh, kids that we went to school with, a couple of brothers, the Stuckmeyer boys, and they lived right by the railroad track coming through town, and one time at the kind of the edge of town there was an old dump down there, and they came up with a bright idea, well, let's go down to the dump and get some old wheels, car wheels that are probably down there, and they got a bunch of car wheels and put them on the railroad track, and they derailed the train. <laughs> Luckily, I wasn't involved with that. Uh, that was there, but we were, I was at school, I was in maybe second grade. Wow. And what were they, Dan, Danny, was, Danny was in, I forget if he was in my, I think he was a year, he was a year ahead of me, he was in third grade. Wow. But all at once we saw these people walking down there the hallway and then see him walking and turn on it was the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> they had no idea yeah. how to solve it since they yeah. hadn't actually anyways, derailed the train. Yeah, but it was a pretty big deal. And, uh, you know, they, <laughs> but anyway, they, you know, good, clean fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, the type of fun you get into. Now, yeah. uh, you know, your dad, my grandpa, had been uh, in the Navy not during your lifetime, right. though, right? Right, Yeah, so, he, was, he was in right at the end of World War Two. yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, my great uncle, so your uncle on your mom's side was uh, was a Marine, but he was only like a couple years older than you. So, I mean, that would have been right about the time you were thinking 
I might have to join, right? Yeah, well, no, Gary, our uncle, he was only like three years older than I was, but yeah. uh, he joined the Marine Corps in 1965. As soon as he got out of high school, he joined the Marine Corps. Wow. And so he got out about the time I was going into the Army. Okay. And he, he did a tour in Vietnam and whatnot. He was a, uh aircraft hydraulic mechanic, I okay. think it was, with that. But uh, And then my brother Steve, he went into the Navy briefly, but then his his wife was pregnant and have a kid and and for whatever reason they he applied for a early out after like six or eight months yeah. and they let him out wow. so he wasn't disappointed at all yeah <laughs> and would be yeah and then my younger brother Bruce he never went in he was smart yeah <laughs> well but yeah. I, I mean for you I mean perfect timing because you turned eighteen in nineteen sixty eight when things are really yeah. Cleaning up in earnest, so yeah. I mean, I went in, I went into the army in St. Patrick's Day in 1969. Wow. Yep. And so, again, I and I tell people this too. I mean, was, I I joined because I was going to get drafted anyways. I mean, I wasn't sure. going to college or anything else, and it was like, might as well just get it over with. Yeah. And, but the thing with the draft and everything else was, it got everybody out of your little cocoon of where you grew up with all the same people and everything else. Mm-hmm. And all at once you were thrown into a, a barracks with 50 other people or whatever the hell it held in a barracks that you had learned to get along with. People yeah. from all over the country, they had talked different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there was black kids. I, you know, I, we, there was no black kids when we grew up. Yeah. You know, in Minneapolis there was a few, but I mean, out where we were at, there was none. Yeah, and here. so our school was lily white, and uh, that's just the way it was. And so you had to learn to get along with everybody. Sure. And, uh, you know, it it was a good experience, really. I mean, as far as that went, I mean, there's a lot of negative stuff with the oh, military. Yeah. But <laughs> with a, that's pretty much a good yeah, one. Yeah. Right? But, yeah. I mean, the big thing was you it put you in a situation that you never experienced, and you had to learn to get along with people. And Absolutely. And so I think that was... That was one of the more positive things about anybody going into the military. Yeah. Now, did you think, okay, I want to do Army or just whatever? I, I'm just Yeah, gonna, well, I, I, I joined the Army because at the time, if you joined the Air Force and the Navy, you had to sign up for four years. Ah, okay. If you joined the, 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 if you joined the Army or the Marines, if you, what they did called sign up for the draft, Mm-hmm. You're only obligated for two years active duty. Well, okay. and, uh, you know, Army versus Marine, yeah, I'll take the Army any day. Absolutely. And so I I went in the Army and didn't know anything about it, but uh, my stepdad, he had been in the Army, and he was, you know, gung-ho for me to go in the Army versus anything else. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, that's what I did, and, you know, I, it all worked out fine. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, all right, so you get uh, you get into the Army. How long was uh, basic training? At that time, basic training was eight weeks. Okay. Did it at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And, uh, you know, uh, again, basic training is, is a designed for everybody to get through. I mean, they, they make yeah. it tough on you. I mean, running around, a lot of kids were really out of shape and whatnot. I wasn't too bad. Yeah. But it it's designed to teach you how the military works, I mean, not only the marching around, obviously, but just, you know, the rank, how, just basically how it runs. Yeah. 
-hmm. And then most people go into, uh, after basic, they went to what they call AIT, Advanced Individual Training. Mm -hmm. Well, when, when I first went in, you were at what they call a reception center before your basic training really started. And you took all these tests and whatnot. Yeah. And when I was in high school, I took typing. Just because I wanted yeah. an easy class. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I could type pretty well. So I took the typing test. And they said, well, he says, you can type better, faster than the kids we send to typing school. So you're probably going to be a clerk typist. I, whatever. I yeah, hey, sounds good to me. And, I mean, I could type, you know, with an old manual typewriter, 45 words a minute with That's you impressive. Know, one error or less. And so that kind of decided my fate. So I didn't even go to AIT they, after after basic training. They assigned me to a Nike Hercules uh, mm -hmm. battalion headquarters up outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, called a little town called Oakdale. We were out in the country. Yeah. But came in there as just as a clerk typist. There you go. And... But also, one of the things we did with all the testing is if you scored really high in that, they, they asked, would you be interested to go to officer candidate school? Well, I didn't know anything about it other than what my stepdad had told me before I went in. He says, if they offer you to go to OCS, take it. And I said, well, whatever. And yeah. so I went up there and I probably would have had a good chance of staying there for the remainder of my two years. Oh, yeah. as this clerk up there. But in the middle of that summer of 1969, you know, uh, the Pentagon calls and says, do you still want to go to OCS? And I said, I don't know. I said, let yeah. me talk to the battery commander. And they said, well, you got to call us back tomorrow. So I called, talked to the battery commander. I said, hey, they called. They wanted me to go to OCS. And they said, you're going. I mean, you yeah. need to do it. I mean, that's yeah. a good thing. So I did. Absolutely. Went to officer candidate school I had to report there in the middle of September I think the 14th of September 1969 wow. and 23 weeks and you know that was quite the adventure with OCS because oh, OCS yeah. versus basic training OCS was trying designed to make you quit uh -huh. instead of make you get through so they did yeah. everything possible to harass you sure. and, and everything else and you know you really had to have some determination to get through it because sure. and our how class, long is OCS? 23 weeks Jeez. And, and our class started with 110 people mm -hmm. and out of that 110 there was like 42 graduated wow. now some of them several of them you know if you sprain an ankle or whatever sure you, you got like what they call turn back and then you would join an earlier class yeah so 42 so there was probably 65 or 70 eventually made it but sure then, but there then, were people with our, cla with our class, class we had 42 but then there was other rollbacks or whatever that sure. came with us and so I, I think we graduated like maybe double that you know probably 80 people graduated oh, okay. but of, of the ones that we started with of our class i think there was 42 or 44 wow. or something like that that's pretty impressive but yeah anyways it was <laughs> it was an adventure and, and you're just early on you're so confused oh i mean they're just idea. everybody it's just nonstop screaming at you, and you don't know what to do, and everything everything you did was wrong. Yes. And uh, I mean, you learn right away. You know, you might well you didn't have walking privileges, so you had to run anywhere. Mm -hmm. When you ate, you had to ask permission to take every bite. 
And it could be no bigger what they call a smack size bite, which is as big as your little fingernail. And then the other thing you learn, taking that small of a thing, it's like a pea, mm -hmm. you didn't have stabbing privileges. So you had to get your fork under it. <laughs> and so it was quite the, oh quite the deal. And, you know, then they, they'd they have you out running around all day long, and then you'd come back, and then the, the drill instructor had probably gone into the barracks and what they call nuke the barracks. Of course. They just took all your stuff, your foot lockers, your beds, everything, tipped everything upside down on the floor, mixed your clothes all up with everybody else's. It <laughs> just made it a mess. And then you'd get back after out there running around all day, and then they'd say, you know, you got a half hour to clean this mess up oh, and fall out for whatever, you know, and then... Uh, it was just nonstop with stuff like that, but you know, you just learned to deal with it. And then it got better and better because the first eight weeks you were what they call a beanhead. You were nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they said, as a beanhead, the first day, they said, you were a day one week one beanhead. He says, you are lower than whale shit at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> and, and that's exactly the way you felt. Yeah. And then after eight weeks, you became a, a, a junior, I think they call it. Yeah. And you had little tabs you wore in your collar. So at, at first, it just said OCS mm -hmm. with nothing. And then when you were junior, they had little white plastic things were behind it. So at least then, then you weren't hassled very much. It was right. mainly to get by because there was a lot of academics and stuff. And, and, sure. and most guys actually got turned back because of academic problems. Interesting. And, and then when you hit... It was like 16 or 18 weeks. Then for the last five or six weeks, you were a senior. Mm -hmm. Then you were a red tab. And then that, then, then you could dish it out if you wanted to, okay. to the lower class people. But yeah. I, I, I was sick of it from getting on the receiving end early on. So I didn't go in Fair much enough. for that, but it just, yeah. you know, it was, it was intense. Tell Let's me, put it that way. <laughs> tell me about, uh, Smoke, joke, and hang out. Yeah, so then in the old barracks they had, these were old buildings, the old wood buildings, two-story. They were built during World War II or shortly thereafter. Yeah. And, of course, in the bathroom, you know, plumbing pipes and everything were overhead just hanging there. Yeah. And and that was part of the thing at first, too. We, we didn't have hot water privileges. Oh, God. So then, <laughs> when you time to take a shower at night, they'd have some of these upperclassmen, these seniors, come in there and they march you in there. You know, you have your soap in one end, tall in another, bare-ass naked and march. And then they have to set it on, and then they march you in the shower, make you turn on the cold water and then say, lather up, I want to see soap. Well, that was hard to do with cold water. Yeah, whatever. yeah. <laughs> and then out you'd come. But anyway, if you get in trouble with the drill instructors, yeah. one of the things they did to a lot of people is they say, well, let's do some smoke, joke, and hang around. <laughs> so they, well, luckily, I never had to do it, but a lot of them did. You had to hang by the pipes, and then they'd put as many cigarettes as you could fit in your mouth and light them all up, and you hear the puff, and then they'd, and they'd make you tell jokes. <laughs> and so it was quite the... So everyone had to do their Dennis Leary impression. Well, yeah, I mean, like I say, pipes. luckily, I, I avoided that, but I mean, it was Good Lord. a lot of people met that fate yeah. and again as you went anywhere and everything anytime one of the drill instructors saw you if you were out of going anywhere as soon as they saw you i mean they'd see something they, yeah. drop 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 yeah yeah, yeah of course and as soon as you dropped i mean you had to start cranking up push-ups yeah and, 
And I mean, it was just crazy. But anyway, you know, you got through it and yeah. did what you had to. And so you so. you earned your butter bars at the end of 1969, or was it? No, it was the March sixth of 1970. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Then you came a long way in uh, in just one year. So you're what a 19 year old second lieutenant? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. That was yeah. One they don't make few. those anymore. No. No. <laughs> yeah, I was 19 for exactly two months. Wow. And after OCS, then I went up to Aberdeen Proving Grounds, Maryland for, uh, I guess it was two months. Yeah. Until it was in May. And that was just what they call their, uh, as an officer, you're assigned a branch. And when we okay. were getting out, they, they came down from the Pentagon. They said, okay. We went to engineer OCS, but they said, we really don't need engineers right now there was a couple of guys that actually been to college and had engineering degrees they made them engineers but that was Makes like sense. four or five yeah the rest of us they said okay you get your choice between military intelligence quartermaster ordnance and i don't know if there's anything else or not yeah and there was a guy in there the last name was where i forget his first name he was a e6 he'd been in the army for like 15 years oh, wow. and decided to go to ocs and he talked to me and a couple other guys. He said, yeah, you should really go ordinance. And then if you get into ordinance, you can pick missile maintenance. And if you do that, that'll keep you out of Vietnam because there's no missiles in Vietnam. Sounds said, all good. All right, that sounds all right. You know, so that's what I did. Yeah. And then after Aberdeen Proving Grounds, which was just an orientation course into the yeah. ordinance course, then I went down to Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama for a oh, wow. six-month course down there on missile maintenance and uh that was no there was no hassle there i mean it was strictly all academic yeah and it was you know five days a week you know yeah, eight till four or fourth or whatever the heck it was or half hour hour for lunch whatever it was but it was all classroom and uh, again it was a lot of academics and there were several sure. people didn't make it to there either i mean it was oh, tough wow. and so then when i getting, you know, like about a month left there. Well, then they came down to talk to us about where we were going to go. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, back in the, this was in the late 60s, these Nike Hercules missile sites were still around. Mm -hmm. And so there was also some Hawk missile batteries. Mm -hmm. uh, there was Nike bases were still a bunch of those in the United States. The only, there was just a few Hawk sites and they were down in Florida. Homestead Air Force Base, I think it was. Mm -hmm. But then they had uh, Nike Herks and Hawks in Germany and then Korea and whatnot. And so they, they came to me and they said, well, you know, here's what we have open. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the openings was at Fort Baker, California, which I had no idea where it was at. <laughs> and and they said it, was, said it was the headquarters of what they call 6th Region Radcom, 6th Region Air Defense Command. Okay. And I said, yeah, okay, that's fine. Sure. And so, California, why not? Yeah, so my dad, he lived out there just south of San Francisco at the time. I called him that night. I said, yeah, I got my orders today. I'm going to Fort Baker. I don't even know where it's at. He says, well, it's right at the north end of the Golden Gate Bridge. And actually, wow. we've been working over there the last week on a paving job. He was a paving contractor. Yeah, yeah. And did paving. And so I said, okay, well, whatever. So then I, I went there right before Thanksgiving in 1970, got out there, 
and then spent until March of 72, so four or 16 months, whatever else, spent there. And that was like, say, the headquarters. There At that time, there was Nike sites. There was like, mm -hmm. I think there was six down in the L.A. area, four right in the Bay Area, two at Travis Air Force Base, and another right. four or six up in the Seattle area. And we were the headquarters for that. And, I mean, it was all just, you know, office work. Right. Yeah, no big deal. But, uh, you yeah. know, that, that was fine. Well, anyway, then in, it would have been in February of 72, I got orders to go to Korea. Okay. And I was going to leave, you know, like the, say the 20th or something like that of, of March mm -hmm. to go to Korea for a 13-month tour. <clears throat> and, and so then before... Were you before a first I, lieutenant at this point? Or yeah, I, yeah. after the first year I got... In, that, in those days, that's pretty much what you did. Yeah. You were going to get promoted after one year to first lieutenant. So, I mean, I got promoted right in March of 71 okay. to first lieutenant. So then when I got the orders to Korea, uh, they had sent me a letter. I had like a sponsor of another lieutenant over in Korea. And, okay. and he said, well, you know, you're going to be coming to... Uh, uh, I think it was like 6th Battalion, 71st Artillery. It was a Hawk unit up around okay. the DMZ. Okay. And he said, you're going to be going up here. I, okay, yeah, to Weejongbu. That's where it was. He said, you're going to be coming to Weejongbu and whatever. We need you here. And so I was going to run what they call a d direct support detachment, which mm -hmm. if out at the missile site, if they couldn't fix something, then we were the ones they called. And we had mechanics who were trained better than and had the equipment to fix stuff that they couldn't fix at the site. Sure. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. So it comes time to leave, and we go up to Travis Air Force Base, get on a plane, fly to Korea, get in there. You come into this Kimpo Air Force Base, and you're just kind of there. And they say, well, you know, they'll somebody will be by to pick you up tomorrow or whatever else. Okay, you know, well, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, you know why, why would just, you? You've never of, been there before. Yeah, you're just kind of there. Yeah. Well, the next morning, these two CW4, Chief Warrant Officers, fourth grade, now they have a, up to fifth grade, but then it was up to four sure. grades. And these two CW4s come, and they said, Bryant? And yeah, okay, well, yeah, we're here to pick you up. And then, all right, fine. Sounds good to me. Yeah. yeah, and so we go out and we get in a Jeep and we start heading south. And I said, I thought we Jung Boo was up north. Well, yeah, we got to run down here for something else first. And okay, whatever. Yeah. You know, and finally, <laughs> we, we pulled down, you know, it was like a couple hour drive from Kimpo Air Force Base down to where I was a place called Camp Humphreys. And we get into Humphreys and we kind of come to the battalion headquarters and they take me in there and they tell the battalion commander, well, here he is, we got Bryant. He says, okay, well then, and I said, what's going on? They said, well, you're going to be working here instead. I said, all right, whatever, I mean, yeah. what do I care? Yeah, and so, makes no difference. What had happened was the, the lieutenant that was running that, or I actually, I guess he was a captain. Uh -huh. He had left or got relieved, you know, like, two or three months earlier. And so this this one CW4, this Dave Goyer, he was the one that they, they made him run it. Well, he didn't want to be running anything. Yeah. He just wanted to do his Warn job. Warn officers don't like yeah. yeah. And so that's why they were eager to find a lieutenant. And 
you know, with the old surges network. I mean, these guys were old old surges before they became the war officers. <laughs> they called some of their old buddies up there at the processing center in Kimpo, and they said, hey, be on the lookout for a lieutenant coming in. We need one. They okay, fine. And so they, yes. when I came in, they called them, and these guys got in the Jeep and headed up there the next morning. <laughs> to, to kidnap themselves, <laughs> yeah. someone to do all yeah. their paperwork. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, you know, there you go. I mean, I didn't, and so then I guess the the people from this, uh, the 6th of the 71st up at Weejongbu, I guess they came down later today and picked me up when I wasn't there. And they said, well, where, you know, and they're, Where's Bryant? You know, they thought I went AWOL or what? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I never know. got there. Yeah. And, and he said, well, we show he got there, but we don't know, you know, he really weren't checked out. And so, you know, <laughs> then I guess that it got to the battalion commander up there and that, you know, hey, you know, the fourth of the 44th down there in Camp Humphreys has Bryant. And then I guess they complained to the, commanding general of this 38th artillery brigade. Oh, boy. <laughs> and said, you know, we want our guy. We were promised him, and he says, well, whatever, possession is two-thirds of the law. They can keep him. And so there I spent 13 months over there working, you know, wow. running this direct support detachment, and we had like, you know, there's like 130 guys or something, and yeah. they had different specialties. Some of them were missile techs or or radar or computer or whatever else. And, and sure. again, the Nike system, when it worked, would have been very effective. It would never fire in anger. Uh, but to yeah. you know, bring, bring a plane down, it couldn't bring a missile down. But I mean, at that time. But again, it was sure. just like the old TVs had vacuum tubes. Well, that stuff goes out all the time. Sure. And so these things were constantly breaking down, and that kept yeah. our guys busy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I did that for... 13 months till the middle of April of 73. And then I came back and I was assigned to a little training unit down in Fort Bliss, Texas. Oh, well, at the time, before I left Korea, you know, because Vietnam was over then, mm -hmm. they were starting to have what they call a RIF reduction force. Mm -hmm. And so for the officers, if you got RIFed, at the time, a lieutenant was going to was getting like ten thousand dollars. God, what is and that? I like thought, God, I three point seven wait, million I, in yeah, today's dollars. Yeah, I can't dollars? wait till they riff me. You know, yeah. I, I, then I'm out of here. So I thought, well, I'll just go to Fort Bliss and wait. You know, I should be getting a notice pretty quick that I'm getting riffed, and then I'll take yeah. my ten grand and run. Sure. <laughs> what do you suppose? I don't get riffed, yeah. and so then. I knew that by June, I think it was, that I wasn't going to get riffed. And I said, well, I'm not sticking around. So then, as an officer, you don't have a set enlistment. You're just what right. they call voluntary indefinite. Mm -hmm. And so then you had to submit a request mm -hmm. to the Pentagon saying, you know, you want to be released from active duty. Yeah. And then it came back. They approved it. And so I ended up getting out in September of uh, 73. Okay. And, yeah. Wow. And so, I mean, it was a good experience. Yeah, yeah. And again, I tell people, you know, I got to do stuff at a young age, you know, 21, 22-year-old lieutenant over in Korea. I mean, I was signed on the line for like over $50 million worth of equipment. And it was stuff like, you know, I, I would have never had that much responsibility in civilian life at that oh, age. No. And then being responsible for 
130 guys working for you, you know, and all sure. that stuff coming up and what's deal. going on. I mean, it was, you know, like I say, it was a lot more than you're ever going to get in civilian life. And that's another good thing about the military. Yeah. It really it exposes you to a lot more at a younger age than you would have ever been anywhere else. And so I, I think it oh, served cool. me a good good stead the rest of my life, you know, teaching you how to be organized and make use of your time. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Now, I, I mean, were there, did you have any thoughts or concerns, or were you just concerned about your own world of, you know, is Vietnam right, or, you know, looking back on it? Yeah, what the well, fuck again, yeah, right? I mean, I was like everybody else. I was a sucker, I guess. I thought, well, yeah, everybody say we got to be there. we got to keep the North from taking over, you know, the domino theory of North, South Vietnam yeah. South Vietnam Falls, everything else is going to fall, and da da da. And, yeah. And, you know, you just, at that time, you know, the news media, you heard one thing, you know, whatever the oh, government yeah, wanted to come out. And, and so that's, you just, most people just accepted it. And, and again, there was the anti war protest at the time, but I mean, but I was like pussies. most people, yeah, I was like most people in the military just thought they were way off base and thought they were a bunch of doofuses. And, yeah. And, you know, we did our thing, but I mean, I, again, I knew in my heart, you know, Vietnam, what the hell do I want to go there for? And, and right. that's why I was glad I went into the missile maintenance and didn't have to get exposed to all that stuff sure. over there because, you know, it was a mess and you look back, what was gained by it? Nothing. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm glad I made the choice I did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Get to get to be an officer and like you say, have, have responsibility and, yeah, you know, life tools you know, go on from there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, more, <laughs> more recent things as far as the military goes, I mean, are, are there things that you're seeing pop up now that are more screwed up then or things that have gotten better? I mean, not that you have firsthand experience with anything. More yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I'm involved with a VF, local VFW chapter here. I'm the quartermaster of that. And, and, and again, but that's all, you know, mainly a bunch of old guys like me and, long since been out of active duty military and yeah you know they hear things because a lot of them have kids that are in and, and whatnot and yeah just like you know you were in the navy for four years and yeah so, you know you hear things but days. i mean it's like any government organization i mean there's yeah just a giant it's, it's too big yeah and there's a lot of stuff that works good but there's just as much that is completely unorganized just a mess yeah, yeah. and you know, you know and again it's, it's something like probably any big bureaucracy is the same way I mean it's it's hard to have everything just kind of humming along oh sure and you know in a peacetime army which you know we're really theoretically are now because we're out of Iraq and Afghanistan but I mean yeah. you know it's been a mess for the last 20 years, I mean, all these guys that okay. served all these tours in Afghanistan and Iraq and all the suicides and... Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just a terrible yeah. just a waste of good people, you know. I mean, the, yeah. and with the military right now, of the, the total people on active duty, it's like, I, I forget the exact numbers. I mean, it's less than a million, but it, it accounts for four-tenths of one percent yeah. of the total population of the country. Yeah. And when you add the reserves of National Guard up, total numbers of everybody then that's in the military or on active duty or reserve National Guard, 
it's 0.7% of the population. Yeah. Very and how long can you keep going like that? Where, again, if you have something that's yeah. prolonged Afghanistan, right, where you don't just burn these guys out, where they just they can't take it anymore. Yeah. I mean, they've got to figure out a better way of doing things. And, and again, the draft will never fly because in this day and age, they, people yeah. just don't want it. I mean, well, it's I mean, always for people, somebody else. But, yeah. Well, I mean, the staff that they always told me was anyone who walks through a recruiter's office, so not being drafted, they actually want to be there. 70% get turned away. You know, they're too fat or they got a criminal right. record or yeah, tattoos right. or well, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, right. So and even so, if yeah, they had a draft, they don't, where's their talent pool? There isn't one. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it, it's, it's screwed up in a lot of ways. And again, there's a lot to be said for volunteer force because theoretically they... They want to be there, and they have stricter standards now than what they did back then. I mean, back then, you know, there wasn't near the strict requirements like they have now. I mean, academic and I mean, the yeah. middle of Vietnam, boy, they were pretty much taking any warm body that that walked through the well, yeah, didn't door, they? and they figured, you know, if they couldn't make it, well, then they would wash out in basic training or soon thereafter, and then they could get rid of them then, but. Yeah. Hopefully they made it. Then there you go. That well, yeah, because they had uh, McNamara had something where it was like guys with like sub eighty, like Forrest Gump's literal Forrest Gump's, yeah. like trying to you know maybe we we can educate them enough and remediate right. them enough to, to yeah. get them in there, and it just was. Yeah, like, well, yeah, and with a lot of people, I mean, like say you get somebody in there and you train them, I mean they're going to become a a cook or a mechanic or something, you know, and you know a lot of people could could do jobs like that if they yeah. could do it well big deal what, what was the problem yeah i mean they're never gonna start you know become a senior sergeant and have a lot of people that they're supervising but i mean just yeah. if they can do the job yeah i don't see a problem and that was they had the same thing when i was in 50 years ago which you know this upper out you had to make rank by a certain time right which right. i always thought was stupid because you had some people that were maybe they could only make e4 e5 but they were damn good at what they did. Yeah. But then it's like you know the old Peter Principle. You're <laughs> yeah, going to exactly. promote them to their level of incompetence. Yeah. And you get them to something that they totally can't handle. They can't supervise people. They can't do things. But they're a damn good mechanic, or they're good infantry, or good artillery, or, or whatever it is. Right. They're damn good at that. But they just they couldn't go any higher. And then they would start running these people out. And I think it's even worse now probably. And uh, uh, I, mean, yeah. I, I don't see the point in it. Like I say, if somebody can do their job yeah. and all they're capable of is, is being an E4 or E5, well, so, so be it. Yeah. Now, if, yeah. They're, if they're at that level and they're screwing up, well then yeah, then get rid of them. Yeah. But if, they, if you can't, I mean, why, why run out good people? So well, I, I yeah, don't they don't seem to be able to retain much in the way of people. I mean, I've yeah. I've uh, pretty much mentally checked out of the Navy. I mean, I'm I'm still meeting requirements, everything else, but yeah. uh, you know, they're trying to retain me, and it's uh-uh, yeah. I'm I'm yeah. out of here. Right. And I uh, just read that the Navy is going to pay people who enlist and leave for boot camp before June twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah. Well, yeah. But they're not going to pay to retain yeah, anyone. Right. So yeah. I mean, again, yeah. I mean, who comes up with this stuff? I, so yeah, I'm yeah. thinking I'm going to go AWOL and grow yeah. a mustache and yeah, try and get right, that twenty five yeah. grand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. I mean, it's you know, again, anything to do with the government is going to have their more than their share of problems and incompetence and goofy oh, decisions. For sure. Yeah. Because, again, the people at the top, 
like right now, the generals and admirals. It's been a long time since they were a lieutenant or a sergeant or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I mean, they've become very political. Yeah. And that's, these decisions all become political instead of what's good yeah. for the military or anything else. And so that, that's a problem with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I I certainly agree, and uh, yeah, I can't. I for one can't wait to get out. I but yeah, your your stories when I was little, uh, you know, hearing about, you know, being kidnapped or whatever yeah. it was. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Like every other YouTuber on the face of the planet, I'm going to ask you to like and subscribe. Like every other podcaster on planet Earth, I'm also going to ask you to write a review on your respective app platform uh, and also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Also encourage you to check out all of my socials which are in the video description if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not you can find it uh, at uh, comicscard.com slash Andrea-Bryant. Once again that's comicscard.com slash Andrea-Bryant and if you're looking to order up some cookies you can also check out cookiegirlbakery.com. That is cookiegirlbakery.com. Thanks so much. I'll see you guys next week.